0: You're listening to the Functional Nerds podcast with your hosts Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Boy, Tracy, I sure hope Robert's awake.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh, well, I mean, does he usually sleep really late or I don't
0: know. I don't know, but it, yeah. you know, I, I'm in his head now, so I mean, it's true.
1: Head. That's you you're living there rent free.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the whole meta part of this that if you're not a patron, if you're not backing us, you have no idea what I'm talking about. So you should go out to patreon.com slash functional nerds and back us and then and then you'll get insight into who Robert is and why I talk about him so much. And Todd.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean honestly that's it's the gift that keeps on giving in a lot of yes. ways. Like you, you think you're just, you know, kicking a couple bucks towards a podcast. And the next thing you know, you're hauled by your ears into the podcast without even knowing it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So on on the theme of like really diving in with both feet on the podcast here, when the intro music goes on, we've got, of course, Zencaster video these days, which has been a thing for a while now. And oftentimes Patrick will call in the aid of his bobbleheads and and pop figures and doohickeys (laughs) that live around his workstation. (laughs) But this is the first time, I think, that I can remember that we've had a guest who, when you had baby Yoga Grogu doing, <laughs> doing the headbang to the intro, was prepared with their own responsorial figurine. So I have to give bonus points to Elaine Isaac here for being very on the ball. oh, like, Okay, so th- it's, this this is a, a joke that doesn't translate well on podcast, but uh, we just got to see an AT-AT walker or AT-AT walker, as I always called it growing up, um, but zebra-striped, like fruit-stripes gum sort of thing going on. The, uh, the fruit-stripes AT-AT, indeed. But the,
2: nice. the first character that you were introduced to is one of the bots from Pacific Rim, which is one of my yeah, favorite movies. Yeah, one of the Jaegers.
1: Um, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So, nice. so,
0: okay. <clears throat> I wrote. You know, every time I see the ad at now, there's a there's actually uh, there's a scene in Star Wars Rebels, where Rex and a couple of the, the old clones see the, the one of the new walkers and they're like, Oh, they went with four legs instead of six. That's so weird. <laughs> Because the Clone walkers had six legs,
2: right. right. Yeah. And,
0: and they're yeah. just like, wow, I guess they're I guess they're cutting costs. Like they didn't have the budget for six <laughs> legs. It's like, what the hell, they're the Empire now. And it was just it's just a throwaway line, but it's so damn funny.
1: Well, it's sort of fun too because I, I, I like seeing embedded within, stuff that's part of the, like this vast shared universe, like a meta awareness of how that <laughs> shared universe has changed over time. And if they let those characters kind of wink at that stuff and lampshade, I mean, that's always fun.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. So anyway, Elaine, hello. Welcome. Welcome to Hi. Functional Nerds.
2: Do you
0: want to tell people right, who Tracy. you are and what you do?
2: Uh, For Sure. 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 My name is Elaine Isaac, although I write principally as E.C. Ambrose. I describe my brand as knowledge-inspired adventure fiction, principally known for the Dark Apostle series about historical medicine, which was a lot of fun to research and write. And my most recent book that came out is also historical fantasy, and it is uh, Drake Master, which features an epic race across medieval China to look for a clockwork doomsday device that draws down the power of the stars.
0: That all sounds awesome. Now here's the problem. By having you do that, I completely threw Tracy off cuz she Uh-oh. was prepared. She had she had a whole thing prepared to go.
1: Oh, I want to hear what Tracy had to say, though. Because oh, I, 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 <laughs> did, I, you're, you're rounding up and giving me a lot of credit here. Like, I, I didn't really have a whole thing ready to go. I was just going to be like, "Do you want to talk to us about your latest book, Elaine?" And just because Elaine is a consummate professional, the answer is, "Duh, yeah, I'm ready to talk about my latest book." Let's go. So, no, there was no thing, there was no bit. But I, I will say that this does sound like a very relaxing, low-stakes story that you have here. You know, the whole race against time and drawing power down from the stars seems seems like everything's extremely chill in this book
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh sure i mean one of my favorite parts of the research because i do a boatload of research for these things was when i was thinking well what what would it actually look like if you brought down the power of the stars what would be the effect of that and the answer is uh it's it's significant radiation we're talking about basically a nuclear weapon Detonation.
1: Oh, all right. Part
2: of the research that I did for it was looking at uh, images and reading about Hiroshima and the effects of uh, the bombs being dropped over in Japan. And that gave me some ideas for how to apply the the power that's being brought down Mm -hmm. in a real world situation. So, yeah, like
1: that was that, the happy fun part. Yeah. I mean, that's not the not the most heartwarming piece of research, I'm sure. But then again, having researched medi- the history of medieval medicine, heartwarming, probably not high in your list of research experiences anyway. Well, the my tagline is you do not want to be my hero. And people <laughs>
2: often say, oh, does that mean that you kill your heroes? And I say, no, that would be too easy on them.
1: Mm. So, okay. All right. Having as your kind of author brand knowledge-inspired adventure fiction is really – it's interesting to me because I think there's a certain baggage that the phrase adventure fiction kind of carries around. And I I think – maybe this is my own baggage that I'm just deciding to pretend is everybody else's baggage here. (laughs) But like the idea that adventure fiction is – is popcorn fiction? Is dime novels? Is stuff that you pick up off of a rack that spins around and around in a wheel in in in, um, in, in a wheel around like a, an airport bookstore? Squeaky. The idea. It's, yeah, it's got to be it, a squeaky we, rack. It's got to go. Yeah, very, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the idea that adventure fiction is knowledge based in this case is like knowledge inspired suggests that there that you are recognizing maybe like a tension there or like an opportunity to do something that's a little bit different.
2: My hope is that people are drawn in and excited about the adventure that they're going to follow. And there's going to be a lot of conflict and high stakes and, and lots of risky situations that the characters will get themselves into and maybe get themselves out of again. But along the way, everything that happens and the, the places that they go um, will be informed by historical, archaeological and sort of cultural uh concepts from the real world. So hopefully readers will get in for the adventure and then discover something that they hadn't thought about or hadn't realized, uh, and then perhaps even look up and realize that the most unusual or exciting parts of the story are actually true. Um, Like the astronomical clock that my doomsday device is based on is a real thing. It was actually built in China in 1090 AD. It's it's a pretty extraordinary scientific and engineering accomplishment that most people, certainly most people in the West
1: don't know about. So if you're not having done a a protracted piece of writing that that was like historically grounded in the sense of like, this is this is in a historical setting, but I'm shooting off in an imaginative direction with its content. I, I don't have an answer for this. And I don't have experience with it. But does the research you do put you in a mental place as a writer where you're like, okay, I know all of this stuff. Therefore, I know what are credible ways to manipulate this history in this context. Or is it more like, because I know all this stuff, I have this responsibility to not play loosey-goosey for reasons? It's kind of a combination. There are certainly things that I don't want to
2: be loosey-goosey with, but usually I think in terms of the extrapolation from what I've found. So the magical system in the... um, the Dark Apostle books, which start with Elisha Barber, all of the the magic that comes there arises from the beliefs of people during the 14th century. So these are the ideas that they had and that they wrote about and worried about. And that's where I sort of drew the inspiration for that magical system. And I think that makes it feel more seamless and incorporated into the historical setting because it seems to have arisen out of it. It's not something that I kind of imposed. It's like, oh, what if the magic that they believed in were real? What Mm -hmm. would that mean? And what form would it take? And definitely, especially as a series builds, then there's sort of more extrapolative elements, if you will. But it was really interesting to look at that magic system that I came up with and then figure out how to continue to infuse it with the power of medieval belief structures. Um, For me, that's part of the fun, is sort of the closer that I can stay to the historical reality or to the cultural mythology that builds around that reality, um, the more I'm excited as a writer. It feels sort of sneaky, it's like a secret history of like, oh, almost everything in this story is true. It's the almost that that. Yeah,
1: yeah, you get a lot of play with that word. So I guess I ask this question a lot of people who have done work based on research. Um, by the time this episode comes out, our, our episode with Kate Hartfield will have aired, Ooh. where we talk with her about uh, the embroidered book and and everything that she's done with that. And it, it's, you know, grounded within Marie Antoinette as a historical figure and sort of extrapolates magical systems and things out of uh, kind of court culture and, and whatnot. So there's there's some real symmetry there with, mm-hmm. with the things that you're talking about. And I guess I'm – i I can't help but ask this sort of question, but like favorite crazy thing you ran into in the course of research that you were like, I have to book this somehow. Like, this has to become, <laughs> you're like what and who and, but why? And okay, but now there has to be a story.
2: Here was a really interesting bit when I was working on the Elisha books and um, did not end up in the final version, although it was in the draft. So Queen Joanna of Naples, who is just a fascinating character all by herself. She gets the throne when she's about 14 years old. She is eventually married four times. At least two of those husbands she's accused of having killed. She is the person who gave Avignon to the popes, in part so that she could uh, try to you know, be alleviated of, of the guilt and convince people that she had not, in fact, been involved with the death of her first husband. So she's a, a very interesting Person to read about in 14th century Italy. And the legend always was about the castle, uh, Castle Nuovo at Naples, is that there was a monster that lived in the moat. So, you know, as a fantasy writer, that's kind of cool, monster in the moat, sure, um, fun idea, you can picture the illustrations and all of that. Well, it turns out during the archaeological dig, when they were building the parking lot for the Castle Nuovo, which is now a museum, they found the skeleton of a giant Nile crocodile, <laughs> one of the largest ever found, and so apparently the monster was real. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that I could say, "Oh yeah, you know, I wrote I wrote a monster in a moat um, for this historical castle," mm-hmm. but that's one of those things where the the crazy fact is true. Uh, so un- unfortunately, we ended up going there. The final versions of the book did not use Naples as much as I had uh, had wanted to. See
0: that 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 makes me wonder, what did it eat? <laughs> uh, aside mean... from political prisoners, <laughs> <laughs> like, like did they did yeah. they feed prisoners to it? Like did it did it just kind of hunt yeah. in the area and people were going, man, I can't keep a chicken, <laughs> save my life around here.
2: No, yeah, they, it was they probably a lot the cat of cat in a, a few days, and... right, right, <laughs> right. Anything that yeah. Happened
0: by... The Ugh. occasional unmarried no. drunk guardsman. D- t- Tracy, did you say something about a cat? We, we both know that no crocodile is going to be able to hold up against a cat.
1: I mean, I, it depends <laughs> on the cat. Um, and, uh, you know, it, I think, you know, contest of speed versus contest of will and various other things. Um, yeah, I think as long as if the if the crocodile doesn't get it in the first snap, it's not going to get it. Because the cat's going to be straight gone. So unless if the crocodile manages to to get it in the first snap, then then game over. But after that, no. Um, have you seen
0: Have you seen that web comic where the the parent like the dad is asking the baby, "What does the dog say?" And the baby goes, "Woof." What does the cat say? You have you have offended your gods. You will be destroyed. And, and I mean, like, goes on this 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 tyrannic, tyrannical yeah, yeah, rant, yeah, yeah. and the cat's just sitting there going, "Traitor."
1: <laughs> <laughs> on the subject of tyrannical rants and maybe this is just my own narrow-mindedness but w- w- when you were talking about um about this historical character i fixated on the became became you know queen at 14 sort of thing and i started thinking to myself like i would be a terrible queen at 14 i don't know if i know a 14 i don't know patrick patrick <laughs> as king at 14 thumbs up thumbs down benevolent dictatorship how would this go down
0: Oh, it would have been terrible, but but you got to – Things like this, you have to put into context, though. I mean, in those days, if if you were going to be royalty of some kind, you you went through some sort of education,
1: grooming, and training, yeah. and yeah. assuming you're, you didn't, you know, murder your way to the top or something along. Yeah, the
0: way. Patrick at fourteen, you know, it's like free Nintendos for everybody. <laughs> like, like that, that's 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 Patrick of 14. We're all, we're all going to play Zelda. Come on. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> a fine plan. Man, I, mean, I have a 14-year-old, I Zelda think we'd make an awesome day. game. But. Yeah. And, sure. and me and Ed's Pizza would have been an international franchise at that point. I would have just said, but, yes, everybody can eat me and Ed's Pizza. Let's just get that out there. <laughs> yeah, make it,
1: a, make it a whole huge <laughs> thing. So in the case of Drake Master, then, where we're, where we're not – in Europe, we're racing across medieval China, you're Mm -hmm. a little bit outside of your normal wheelhouse here. Um, I mean, to some extent you have a, in your, in your other life, your E.C. Ambrose life, um, you've got your, um, you've got your bone guard series. um, And so there's a lot of travel that happens there. This is probably where I should step back a little bit for the sake of the, the listeners and talk about um, apparently Elaine doesn't sleep or eat, or do anything other than write books, because she has a ridiculous number of them written under a variety of identities that cover uh, more traditional fantasy, historical fantasy, and thrillers. Um, And so there's, I guess when I say that you're a little bit outside your wheelhouse there, maybe you aren't. The wheel is your house. You live in wheel. Wheel is whole house. It is a
2: wheelhouse. I drive it around. That's what I do. Yeah, Um,
1: basically.
2: yeah. Yeah, so... Drake master uh, I did a boatload of research uh, as noted and um, possibly also from my wheelhouse. So I had all these racks of books that I was always interested in Mongolian culture and history. Um, so the book is set during the Mongol invasions in the 1250s in China uh, in order to incorporate some of that enthusiasm and the research i I already done and my visit to Mongolia and China. Um, and then I thought, you know, I'm doing a lot of work for this one book Maybe I can take some of that and spin it out into something completely different. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, you know, one of the great lost treasures of the world is Genghis Khan's tomb. And that was the genesis of the Bone Guard series. The first book is called The Mongol's Coffin, and it is uh, following a musical map to Genghis Khan's tomb. Mm -hmm. So... I came up with a, a team of former special ops intelligence officers who served uh, during the Gulf War, and um, they now have a essentially a private "quote unquote" security firm where they're going to protect cult- cultural archaeological cultural and archaeological artifacts. Um, and they end up uh, going on this quest when a graduate student uncovers uh, music that are the traditional songs. Uh, Mongolian throat singing has is usually landscape oriented, so they will sing a very particular place, including the geography of that place, you know, bird song, insects. So you get a sense if you're at, near the water or not. Uh, and I thought all of those details could be used to tell somebody the directions. Uh, so Drake Master and the Mongols coffin were very much uh, sort of born from the same source. Uh, and then went in very different directions.
0: What, yeah, one modern and one one historical, right?
2: Right. So historical fantasy, Drake Master, and then the Bone Guard um, is contemporary thrillers. Um, you know, you you follow the. The good guys and the bad guys as they are sort of chasing one another, shooting at one another, uh, having all of the kinds of dangerous fun that makes thrillers so enjoyable. Uh, and also discovering Mongolian culture, covering a lot of interesting territory in between.
1: No, it's like a Very Tom cool. Clancy meets Indiana Jones meets leverage sort of thing <laughs> um, <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of the dynamics.
0: I, I was thinking, I was thinking uh, Bones meets oh, Bones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, what was, what was the, the character's job and Anthro- uh, forensic anthropologist. Anthropology. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Though I could, I could see that, that sort of parallel there. So other than the fact that it gives you the opportunity to repurpose some of your voluminous research into different <laughs> books that are sort of scratching different genre itches and things. why, why? why complicate your life by writing across so many genres <laughs> and and so many identities is it just that that like all the stories are pounding their way out of your head or yeah i mean mostly i'm i'm <laughs> following my
2: muse um and what i get excited about so that's why you sort of boiled down all of the things that i do to that one phrase knowledge inspired adventure fiction which is the umbrella that covers a lot of those different genres that i'm writing in um it's just hard for me to to limit myself and say no i am going to be this kind of writer and these are the kinds Mm -hmm. of books i'm going to do and i am going to ignore that fun Mm -hmm. concept for a young adult science fiction novel
0: um because that is not what i do Mm -hmm. so no limits no limits
2: no limits (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, 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 give us a give us an idea of what is, what does your typical day look like when you're when you're going to be writing.
2: So, I usually do a lot of uh, pre-writing and research. Um, while I'm doing the research, I'm making notes and note cards. And when I'm ready to write, uh, I know that I'm ready to jump into the book when I have a person in a place with a problem. So I know mm-hmm. a specific individual that I'm excited to write about and to introduce to the readers. They are in a very particular place and time, which could be something that I've invented, but is often a, a real world setting, possibly historical. And then they're facing a conflict that needs to be overcome or addressed. Uh, and often those conflicts start out being more personal and then become bigger as they, the character understands and engages more with the problem. They discover that really that's just the tip of the nose of the Nile crocodile. So um, the jaws remain to be discovered. <laughs> anyway, so when I have those kinds of things, I've been making my note cards. I have envelopes on my bulletin board where I just check all those note cards. Um, and then I pull them out and I shuffle them together until I find a fun plot that will hopefully get bigger and better and more dangerous as I go. Uh, and I'm a Scrivener fan. So I will enter nice. that plot information information. Uh, I always have a spreadsheet going for the book. So the spreadsheet usually has a timeline and historical information and links and things and names of characters, uh, names and dates for historical figures, if there's going to be people like that. So the um, one of those columns in my spreadsheet will be that plot outline from the note cards. Grab all that, stick it in the project notes in Scrivener, uh, and usually after breakfast, I kick my... Kids off to school. I kick my husband. Well, I used to kick him out of the house to work, and now he works downstairs because you know, <laughs> everything changed. Um, and I go up to my computer at about eight a.m. in the morning, followed by my cat and my dog. Uh, the cat inspects everything to make sure that it's all still good, and then she goes away. And the dog lies down behind my chair. Uh, and I usually try and write for a couple hours. You know, drafting. Take a break for tea. If things are going well, then I'm writing for a couple more hours. The morning tends to be my most creative time. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, if I get all excited, then it's likely to be sort of a couple two hour blocks um, up until school gets out, essentially. That is a very
1: busy day of writing. (laughs) And so I, so I you're using project on.
0: notes, you're using project right. notes, are you using, are you using project targets, are you using Scapple at all? Like, like, are you integrating these things together or is it just the spreadsheet and Scrivener?
2: Um, pretty much the spreadsheet in Scrivener. I do use the the project targets that they have in Scrivener, the goals that mm-hmm. are built in. Um, my chapter length is a bit longer for fantasies than it is for uh, sure. thrillers. Uh. Yeah. And I'm usually aiming for about 1,500 words in a session, Um, you know, 3,000 words or so a day, sometimes more, nice. sometimes less, depending on where I'm at in the writing process.
0: In a in a, in a previous life, I taught Scrivener to people, so that's why. Oh, I, really? <laughs> so You're probably I, I am. I should pick your. Brain. I am not. <laughs> I am not a fan of Word anymore, and I and I know that it's a necessary evil, uh, mm-hmm. especially in publishing, but. Uh, I much prefer Scrivener and, and actually in July, I'll be converting Tracy 100% to Scrivener.
1: I, no. I have Scrivener on my this? computer.
0: She um, doesn't know this.
1: Well, <laughs> This is my surprised face, which again, is one of those things that translates great on, on podcasts. Um, yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, I, I actually asked a little bit more than a year ago for a Scrivener subscription, um, from, and are you on a Windows uh, or Mac? Uh, it's a Windows machine. That's um, the problem. Well, anyway, I asked for a Scrivener subscription uh, <laughs> a little bit more than a year ago as a Christmas gift from my father-in-law, who dutifully got one for me. So I, you know, used my little code mm-hmm. and got myself my Scrivener, and ported a bunch of stuff um, from my manuscript at the time into Scrivener, and started sort of dividing it into into note card chunks and dividing it into you know subsections and various other sorts of things. Um, and there was nothing wrong with it. Like it took me, I I did their, their sort of tutorial thing. Um, and it was fine. Like it took me about three days to work my way through the tutorial because I was only giving it about like a half an hour or 40 minutes a day or so. Um, and, and it was fine. It has like a ton of tools on it. I can totally see how people would use, but for that particular project, the problem that I was having with it was not something Scrivener could solve. Like. The problem I was having with it was really just that I needed to start that one over kind of from zero. Sure. And some part of me was like, if I know I need to start this over from zero, and I've even sort of figured out what the new outline, broadly speaking, is of that, I don't know that I need this right now. And so it was, for me, there was enough brain power going into using Scrivener quote unquote right. Versus figuring out what the real problem with my manuscript was that I realized Mm. that I was overclocking in the one area and not really focusing on the writing anymore. And so I haven't gone back to it in uh, probably eight or ten months, um, which I'm sorry – (laughs) father-in-law <laughs> that's fine nice. that's fine that's why that's why I, i'll, in I'll july. use it again at some point i swear
0: in july um yeah in july so yeah. apparently um, july but yeah
1: actually i do a significant amount of my writing on something which could not possibly be more the opposite of scrivener unless it was like i don't know a chisel and a stone tablet um i i tend to do a lot of my writing on alpha smart hmm. which is i have something that this. you you either mention yeah. this to people and get knowing looks and nods. You mention this to people and you get completely blank expressions, which is what normal people do. Um, <laughs> but the, the the alpha smart is this weird p- appliance that had a fairly short but vigorous lifespan, mostly in middle schools. Um, in the early part of the 21st century. So we're talking like, I don't know, like 1999 until about like 2004 or so. And basically they were for schools that didn't have the money to go one-to-one laptop uh, sort of programs, but they wanted to teach kids typing and they wanted to give, them some way to like learn basic word processing stuff. And it basically just looks like a keyboard that someone took like a TI-84-ish sized but elongated screen from a calculator on and just like stuck that bad boy on the top. And that's <laughs> it, it weighs about as much as a keyboard with a goofy little screen on the top. And you can generally only see about five to six lines at a time, and all it does is it runs off of a watch battery and three AA's. The watch battery will generally last five to six years, and that's what runs the CPU. And the the three AA's will last you generally about two years. Um, and it just constantly saves. You just type stuff, and it constantly saves. And an Alpha Smart can hold about sixty thousand words I- across eight separate file. Uh, areas that it has subsectioned within it and then you hook it up to a usb um cable and you hook that usb cable up to an actual real computer you hit the send (laughs) button and it just ports stuff in and you get to feel like you're in like an 80s hacker movie because what it's (laughs) actually doing is just really fast typing everything into whatever it is scrivener word um You know, Google Docs, uh, Notepad, if you're a monster, Um, you know, things (laughs) like things like that. And so uh, it was great for me because because it has no real operating processing power at all. If you press on, it's immediately on. If you press off, it's saved constantly and it will take you right back to where you left off. So Mm. one of the reasons that I have liked it is a it's extremely easy to use on the road uh, and when you're traveling and B, it's the perfect. My kids keep fucking bothering me writing appliance <laughs> <laughs> because there's no like boot time. There's no software load time. There's no it's just if all I can afford to do is 300 words before they realize I'm awake. It's so much easier than my Windows laptop, which has like a three minute boot sequence. Hmm. Sometimes, that's... some days, man, that three-minute boot
0: sequence is all it takes
1: to make you go, no, it's not worth it. I'm not going to do it.
0: Yeah, that's why that's – that's one reason why I do like Mac because you really only have to boot your Mac like twice a year. <laughs> that's it. Uh, yeah. It's like, oh, something weird's going on. Restart. Oh, there. It's fixed. <laughs> mm. You know, so uh, – but back in the day, I did have – I had a word processor, which is similar to what you're, you're talking about. Yeah, and uh, yeah. the word processor was actually—it was just like it was an electric typewriter yeah, with a streaming. monochrome with a monochrome monitor and a hard drive, mm-hmm. and it actually took the three and a quarter floppies. And I did like that; it, oh. it, it was neat because I've always been a fan of, of typewriters. But anyway, uh, Elaine, we will we will get Tracy <laughs> we'll get Tracy situated with Scrivener. What I found with Scrivener is that I, I teach people in – when I'm in the room with them, it's the coolest thing ever. They love it. They can't wait. And then they go home and they fuck it all up by trying to treat it like word. <laughs> How dare. And and <laughs> as soon as you start treating it like word, you're doomed. You're absolutely doomed because so it, it, it's, me, it's not word. When, when
1: you say treating it like word, talk to me about what you mean by that.
0: Okay. So you open up a word doc and mm-hmm. you set your margins because you, you want the correct margins. Uh, you change your font because you want the correct font, right? You need to you need a uh, a font that's going to have the character widths that's the same. So you want like a courier type font because that's what you're going to have to send it off to an editor with, right? So whatever whatever their preferences are, uh, you got to set your line spacing, right? So you're you're basically setting up your 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 document to make it look the way it needs to look. And some people do that upfront. Some people do that after. Just okay. depends on the person. Some people will set that up and save it, Uh so that every time they open it, they always have the same format, and they can always do like they can just jump in and do stuff. The problem with that is if you're typing along, and you think, "Oh, I screwed up," and you hit the backspace, all your formatting goes away because all the formatting in Word, if you if you go too far, all your formatting is in a what they call a hidden pixel, and -hmm. the hidden pixel is at the end of the document. You can actually backspace across that and eliminate all your formatting, literally. <laughs> so so what? Uh, the main complaint that I've had from people is I spent an hour setting Scrivener up the way I wanted it to look, and then when I wrote some stuff and I went to export it, it ignored all my formatting. Well, the reason it ignores all your formatting is because it doesn't care what you do. <laughs> it, all, the, all the export stuff is on the back end. So if you want to write something and send it to an editor or write something and send it to an agent, you just write it. You can have it in Comic Sans font if that's the font that you like. It doesn't matter. You can have it at size 300 point. It doesn't matter. And when you hit export or compile, you can then say standard manuscript format. And oh, by the way, take out the double spaces after the period that I've been trained to write and and export it out. And it will export it out as a document that is standard manuscript format, standard font, standard spacing, the right margins, the right header, the right footer. All that stuff is built in and it takes care of it for you. And for some reason, that drives people up a fucking wall.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And I don't understand why
1: like the, the Garrick meme weird hill to die on but at least you're dead so I mean see for me but what that I like stuff, what that, I li- that kind of stuff wasn't wasn't the problem for me with Scrivener the problem was for for me with Scrivener's toys toys there are toys everywhere there are toys that do so yeah. many things and like which which I do a touch this toy now no don't touch that toy don't touch yeah, and no. so for me because I have um I am apparently that dog from up um I, I need things like the Alpha Smart because there's pretty much nothing I can do other than write words. And then I export it. And then once I'm done with it, I put it in the format. So in that respect, I don't think I would be guilty of the crime that you're
0: describing. <laughs> Probably not. Anyway, we, we haven't done a Scrivener tangent in a while, Elaine. So I appreciate <laughs> you mentioning it. I, I absolutely adore Scrivener. I do. Um, I, but that I will end this rant by saying the thing that I always say, uh, if what you're doing works for you and you have zero complaints, there's no reason to change.
1: I do think that this opens up a, a door for something I did want to talk to you about, um, Elaine and something that I Ooh. actually, I wrote this in my notes. This is planned. Um, <laughs> one of the other, cause again, Remember, Elaine doesn't sleep and doesn't doesn't do things. Like apparently, her her dog will move from the chair. Oh, uh, well, uh, not often enough to allow her to get one cup of tea in the middle of the day. Well, and, and my God, chain. who get who gets um,
0: up and has breakfast before eight a.m. <laughs> oh, you um, <laughs> Elaine says and the, I are says the single has guy says the single guy with no kids. Yeah, a single right. guy with no kids. Right. right. No right. animals right now. No kids.
1: Mm, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, but what I was going to talk about is also you offer services as a developmental editor. And I think that that's something that a lot of people um, don't even really know exists. Like what is developmental editing? I was going to say, sort of, so you know, so
0: there's lots of different kinds of editors. Why don't you explain yeah. developmental editor? Uh,
1: so I
2: usually come in when the author has a completed draft and they, they mm-hmm. think they're done. Uh, and I'm going to look at all of the separate components of that you know the characters and the conflict and the setting um and talk to them about how those elements are working together um the aspects of the story that i see that feel like they're not being fully carried through or they're not being exploited uh and try to help them take that manuscript to the next level so what can you do with all these wonderful things that you've invented and usually there's a lot of different things going on on the page but it's not coming through with clarity or it's not um really capturing the essence of what the author had in mind. They think they've got it all in there, but it's still partially in their head and not on the page. Um, or it's being presented in a way that is sucking some of the energy out. Um, it's always surprising to me that someone could take a story that sounds really like exciting. If I were to, to tell you the story, you'd be like, oh, that sounds great. And then they write it on down, you know, they enter it into their Word doc or their Scrivener or whatever and manage to just all the life right out of it Um, Mm -hmm. just in the way that they phrase things in the way that they set a scene or fail to set a scene. The fact that they haven't recognized that everybody is just talking heads in a white room. There's no setting at all. Um, The characters are, are flat because they're not being shown in action. They're just, they've been described and that is all uh, instead of being embodied. So that's kind of where the developmental editor works is, is okay. You've got all these fun and exciting stuff. Let's see how we can bring it all together in the most exciting way that carries the vision the author had of what they thought that book could be.
0: Um, yeah. And and where we're, we're some newbie authors get a little bit uh, confused, this is not a copy edit. This is not a right. line edit. This is not a grammar edit. This is you, you have your story written out maybe you feel as the author that there there's it's just not right there there's like something missing you 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 haven't quite captured it you go off to a developmental editor and they're going to they're going to give you that kind of feedback they're going to they're going to look at the story as a whole they're going to break it down and they're going to come back with you know here's the here's what i think you should do
2: yeah sort of yeah. here's the elements that i see you working with um this is kind of the basic building blocks and then treat each of those kind a little bit separately um is this character coming through well is you know is your setting clearly established um is it understandable and engaging and then how do we uh weave all of that into the most compelling version of those elements Mm -hmm. Um, and i'm super excited because a book that i Did uh, some editorial work on early in its process is coming out in August called Tune In Tomorrow by Randy Dawn. She's a fellow Broad Universe member, um, which is how I first met Tracy as well. So it's like, oh, one of my babies is going to be out there in the world, (laughs) and it's really Randy's baby, but you know,
1: she she lets me be the foster mom. You've done good. Yeah. Yeah, you did, like you, you did some, you did some important form, you know, formative babysitting experiences and things, and part of its growth arc. That's All
0: right. awesome. Right. So I
1: think we're in a great place for doing our picks of the week. What do you say?
0: Sure, we can do picks of the week. Picks of the week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a very sincere looking jazz hands. Um, Patrick, do you want to start us here?
0: Sure, I am I actually am ridiculously excited. I watched a movie on hulu.com uh, mm-hmm. or Hulu uh, called The valet. Okay This is a comedy. This is a this is a uh, one of those. You, you oh gosh how do I want to say this without spoiling it so so the valet the main character he is Latino he's living in L A he's a valet right mm-hmm. and he he uh, he has a he has a big family he has a big group of friends you know it's that it's he has lots of support but he's he's lonely he's got a kid he's going through a divorce and uh, there's this actress who is having an affair. And with a married man, and the paparazzi snap a picture of them together, but the valet is there as well. And so to the, the premise of the movie is that uh, they pay the valet to pretend to be her boyfriend rather than out the relationship, you know, the secret relationship between the actress and, and the guy. And what ends up happening is the valet and the actress actually build a really great friendship. But... I'm not selling the movie well because it's the funniest goddamn thing I've seen in a really <laughs> long time. I could not stop laughing. Now that's not to say there's not a couple of moments where where you're going, "Oh my god, you know, this is hitting you in the feels." But for the most part, it's hilarious. You know, it's 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 all of his friends trying to figure out why this actress, this Hollywood actress, this huge star is suddenly interested in this guy who's who's like they're looking at him going, "What have you got?" that, that like, what, what's going on here? How does this work? And, uh, you have to, you have to, uh, uh, he speaks Spanish quite a bit. All his friends speak Spanish, his family, his mom only speaks Spanish. She doesn't speak English. So there's lots of subtitles you have to read, but they're hilarious. So, so I'm going to spoil one part. Cause this is just, this cracked me up. He comes home and the handyman is leaving and he's like, his mom lives with him. He's like, what's going on? This is like the third time this week you've been here fixing something. But the problem is the handyman is Korean and he only speaks Korean. He doesn't speak English. The mom only speaks Spanish, but they're having an affair. <laughs> they're having an affair, but neither one of them speaks the same way. And it's hilarious just how this is handled. There's a point where she – she like there's a, there's a, a, a daughter – who speaks English and Korean and then the mom is speaking Spanish and then the son is the valet is Spanish and English. And so they're kind of communicating back and forth. And the the Korean guy is saying stuff to his daughter who's saying it in English to the son, who's saying it in Spanish to the mom, and the mom's going, Oh, he, he thinks I'm pretty okay. Well, can you can you tell him there's a couple things I would like to, to have differently in the bedroom? And the son's <laughs> like, the son's like no no mama no and she's like yeah can you tell him like to pull my hair a little bit and he can be a little rougher and she's like he's like no mama no <laughs> i can't say and oh my god i was dying so this movie you have to go watch it the valet it is it is adorable i love it it, it hit the right spot at the right moment please go watch it
1: fantastic All right, Elaine, how about you? (laughs) Boy,
2: I have to follow this. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So one of the things that I've been super excited about lately, being a Mongolia buff, uh, is that I recently discovered the work of author Star Z Davies. And she is the author of Daughter of the Yellow Dragon, which is a historical novel also based in Mongolia, though uh, her work is, I think, in the 1450s. So it's a couple hundred years later than than the projects that I've been doing. Uh, It is a four-volume series. Daughter of the Yellow Dragon is the first book. Um, I just finished reading Lords of the Black Banner, and I know that book four has just come out or is probably about to be out at the time that the podcast is going to go live. Uh, So these books are deeply invested in the court intrigue of the Mongolian empire um, and in the fate of a woman who finds herself married to the Khan, and all of the, uh, the decisions that she has to make and how to claim her agency in that a rather exciting backdrop. So there's some romance, there's some war, there's some fabulous chase scenes, lots of horses Um uh, so yeah, if that is your game, I would highly recommend it. Star Z Davies is the author.
0: I, I will also throw it out, Elaine. If you are a TV person at all, if you if you like streamers, there's a there's a very underrated show on Netflix, and I think it only got two seasons and a couple of specials as well, like specials focused on other characters. But it's the Marco Polo series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it was really well done. It was it was so good and it just didn't go anywhere <laughs> like it oh. didn't connect with audiences at the time but it was such a good show two seasons of it it's um i think the guy playing playing was it Khan? um is the guy from the uh, from the dr strange movies the the oh, oh Wong? Uh, Benedict Wong. yes yes he's 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 in it and he's wonderful so mm-hmm. just throwing it out there
1: Awesome. Awesome. So departure from what we've got here from the other wrecks, but very much in my usual wheelhouse, uh, I'm going to recommend a game. <laughs> and this is one that we've been playing recently in Shay Townsend, and so far the, the the best one among us at it is definitely my son Corwin. It is a uh, cooperative game that could be played by single player, but it takes up to, you know, around five or so, or however many you sort of feel like. Um, the constraints on it are different than... than are typically the case with a game it's called macro micro crime city and the (laughs) idea behind it is it is a gigantic black and white map that you unfold and this gigantic black and white map has these surprisingly detailed but very tiny cartoon figures and houses and roads and there are boats and there's everything that you can imagine being within a large city the map itself is about four feet by five feet So you could hang it on a wall or lay it on the floor, have it on a particularly big dining room table. And you get a magnifying glass. And there is a set of cards uh, that is divided into different wax envelopes. And each wax envelope represents a different crime scene that you have to investigate. And the first card within it states the nature of the crime, like uh, someone has been murdered and their body is in this location. And the rest of the cards within that set prompt you to look for sort of the next phase of investigation. Now, if you want to sort of increase the difficulty level here, you could read the initial card that sets up the nature of the crime that you're trying to investigate, and then none of the others. Because what this giant map does is it has imagery that allows you to trace characters' actions through time. So, for example, one of the early uh, crime scenes is of a car wreck and someone has died at the car wreck. And you're supposed to investigate whether or not it appears that he fell asleep at the wheel. But is that all there is? So to investigate the crime, you have to first locate the car wreck and, and his body there. And then you have to find the car because we essentially the map gives us all of the characters positions throughout time. And so the map is as large and as detailed as it is because as you're looking for it, you're going to look for that same vehicle and like, oh, okay, he was westbound at some point and he came from this location. But before he was at this location, he was here. And when he was here, someone slipped a Mickey into his drink. And we know it was a Mickey because if we follow her... Just around the corner, we see a prior instance of her standing outside a pharmacy, and then we can see within the pharmacy window there she is exchanging money for someone and she walks out right. (laughs) And so, there's a sequence of different crimes, um, and some of them are. You know, fairly minor in nature, someone's hat has been stolen. Uh, and some of them are extremely salacious, like this sex worker has been violently murdered, you know? Um, and so it, it's rated from ages 12 and up. And there are ratings on each of the crime investigations to suggest whether or not you think your kids should play it. Um, <laughs> But you know, if you're if you're the Townsends, then you kind of don't pay attention to that, and you let the kids do it anyway. Um, and Corwin has proved to be ridiculously good at. So I guess if anything horrible happens to me, I want my son investigating it.
0: <laughs> but, uh, Micro
1: macro Crime City is a really fun game that has no mechanics at all. It is just it's completely pick upable by by people who don't normally play games, and really the only limitation to it. Functionally, is how many human beings can you crowd around the map and, and still be able to, you know, see things in detail? Nice. That sounds Very fantastic. Good. All right. So, folks, we want to make sure that you have a chance to track down Elaine and all of her cool stuff. Elaine, where should people go? What should people do to find you and your cool stuff?
2: Uh, Well, you could definitely find me on Facebook, uh, EC Ambrose author, and on Twitter, uh, less. Strongly so, perhaps on Twitter than on <laughs> Facebook. Um, my website, boneguardbooks.com, will lead you to the Boneguard thrillers and uh, actually to the main book site, which is rosenantebooks.com where you can wind through those pathways uh, to find everything else that I've written, just about. And the Drake Master, the new book, is from Guardbridge Books UK. So they also have a website at guard, guardbridgebooks.co.uk. Um, slash drakebaster should get you to all the goodies about that.
0: Fantastic. Thanks so much for being with us, Elaine. Thank you very much for having me, Patrick and Tracy. Thanks for listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast. Because I've always partnered with teachers as co-hosts, we have homework for you. Giles and Michelle are kind of cool. They have a podcast called Beyond the Functional Nerd. Oh, hold on. Uh got a memo coming in here. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess they call it Beyond the Trope now. I honestly don't know if that's new or what. They even have a website for it though, beyondthetrope.com. Their podcast is weekly, just like ours, and they talk with people just like we do every Tuesday. So if you listen to us, And then go listen to them, and that is really, really important. You have to do it in that order. It's kind of like a double feature, and double features are cool. So check them out over at beyond the functional, Uh, sorry, wait, (laughs) sorry, beyondthetrope.com. Yeah, that's it, beyondthetrope.com. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, or really any of our episodes, there's lots of things you can do to support us, and let us know you like these things. Okay. A little bit of validation. We love validation. You could go to wherever you listen to our episodes, uh, Apple podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, and give us some stars and reviews. Say something nice about us. You could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and toss a couple bucks our way. You could get a supporting or attending membership for Royal Con and nominate us for a Hugo Award in 2023. See, I'm kind of getting ahead of it this time. Uh, it's far too late for 2022, but 2023 is doable. If you need, like, if you have questions, just reach out and, and ask me how that works. And I can, I can explain it to you, Todd. You could buy our books. Tracy's got a couple out there. I've got a novel and some novellas out there. Google that shit, people. That would be awesome. You could stop two random strangers in the street and tell them all about us. Like just people you're passing as you're walking. Now, (laughs) if you do that, like uh, make some serious eye contact. Don't don't blink. Just stare at them right in the eye and tell them to listen to us and why they should. There's probably some stuff I'm forgetting. (laughs) I'm sure Robert will let me know or Todd. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe.
1: Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> 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 okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> I'm so excited.